What's up? We're back for another episode of Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Um, <laughs> what's up? How's everyone doing? Is everyone doing well? I hope everyone's doing, you know, so well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Today, we are doing Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, pretty much with the release of the Avengers video game hyping me up. Uh, it made me want to finally start watching the Avengers movies. To be honest, I really wanted to just skip to Infinity War, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start to the first one, and then Age of Ultron, and so on and so forth. So there's not really uh, much news, as far as I'm aware. Like I, I, It's been a slow couple news weeks, I guess. Um, so I don't really have anything to say, other than like they announced the prices for the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, or whatever it's called. I'm I'm gonna buy them both, so I don't really like, you know, not really anything to say there, I guess. But yeah, um, oh yeah, they they just started filming the last episode, or it was their last day of Su- on Supernatural the other day, so that's you know like 15 years in the books coming to an end, which is which is sad. Uh, and AMC announced that season 11 is gonna be the last season of The Walking Dead. I stopped watching that in season three, so I don't really have much to say about that, but uh, I guess some people will be upset. <laughs> what else? Is there anything else going on? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, since last time, not like anything I can think of I think I also talked to last time like Mulan and stuff so yeah we're just gonna I guess get right to uh to the movie so we're gonna start with a bit of background on this movie it came out in 2012 and it was a culminate there was the culmination of uh, phase one of the MCU the Marvel Cinematic Universe as, as many people know uh the first phase was Iron Man 1 and 2, The Incredible Hulk, uh, Captain America, The First Avenger, and Thor. And in all of those movies, every intro- every Avenger had been introduced at some point in at least one of the movies. Uh, that one of them was recast, so you decide if that counts or not, but technically they were all, the characters themselves were all introduced. Uh, this movie was also, if my memory serves correctly, the first to be under the Disney banner. Even though Paramount Pictures is still in the opening, like when it starts, uh, I'm pretty sure Disney distributed this one rather than Paramount Pictures. Um, if, I, if I remember correctly, it was the first one. And then now, the, as we all know, the rest have been Disney, except for... Except for the Spider-Man movies, which I think still get Sony in the credits, but it's I still think they're distributed by Disney. I'm not sure. 
this one was directed by Joss Whedon, as was the next Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, and uh, Whedon was a co-writer on this one, uh, and he wrote, apparently wrote Age of Ultron himself, which I'm sure we'll get to when we watch that movie. Uh, I'm just going to start with my general opinion on this movie. When I first saw it, I was uh, 19 years old and, you know, fancy free. And I liked it a lot at the time, but I felt some of the characters, when everything was said and done, were much more likable than the rest, which I will get to as well uh, as the movie goes on and as the review goes on. But it frustrated me a bit at the time, and it still frustrates me now a little bit, but less so. Um, <laughs> and I was a little confused by things, because there's a bit of an unknown between the periods kind of gap, like between Thor and Avengers which they don't really talk about, they just kind of toss you into it, which, like, fair enough, I guess, maybe they didn't want to talk about it, or maybe there was a prequel comic, because I know they do that, or something that, that came out, but it's, it's, it's just a nitpicky problem, and it's, like, it's not really, like, it's confusing overly, it's just someone like me who wants to know everything going on, it's, like, there's just this big unexplained gap, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, the this movie uh, was not my favorite of them all at that point, like in Phase 1. Uh, Iron Man still held that title, and it still does, I think. That's, yeah, of the Phase 1 movies, Iron Man's probably my favorite. Uh, and this may be a controversial statement, <laughs> but I may enjoy Age of Ultron more than I enjoy this one, like overall. Not to say that it's a better movie or anything, but I like just from the enjoyment aspect, I, I enjoy Age of Ultron more probably. But we'll have to see once I watch them both again. It's not to say I don't like this movie at all. But I find the third act much more enjoyable than the first two. Uh, the second act in particular drags on a bit too much for me. And it has a lot of kerfuffling about. Which... Eh. I remember when I first saw this movie though. It reminded me heavily of The Ultimates. Uh, the Ultimates is the ultimate universe version of the Avengers uh, and in the first Ultimates collection I believe it had the Chitauri attacking New York because of Loki uh, and that was the book where the Chitauri were created like that was their first appearance and everything and then they got it they were brought into the movies and then brought into the uh, main continuity the 616 continuity because of the movie which was because of the Ultimates um, that's pretty much where the similarities end though between those two books like the characters I think are influenced quite a bit from the Ultimates but ultimately <laughs> uh, ultimately they're quite different I, th I would say Hawkeye's the most inf the one who has the most influence because like his costume is pretty much completely spot on um, if I remember correctly Ultimate Hawkeye has a family uh, like a wife and kids and stuff so yeah Going on to the reception for this movie, uh, it was very well received. On the old tomatoes, I hate. Uh, it's at 92% fresh with an average rating of 8 out of 10, which I would say seems about right. That makes sense. Um, it made all of the money, coming out with $1.59 billion from a $220 million budget. So, pretty good. It's like seven times its budget, which is, you know, what you want, I suppose. Now to get on to the, uh, 
the reason I, I wanted to first talk about these movies is uh, so I'll, I'll tell a little bit of a story first because I know there's I listen to a few podcasts and and I listen to uh, different like YouTube things and a lot of the times I've noticed when it comes to Marvel movies some of them talk about how the movie is viewable for people who haven't seen the rest in particular I remember one I watched where they were talking about Infinity War and they they counted it as a negative that you'd that you'd have to have watched a certain number of the movies before seeing this to like to really get it and and I've, I know I've talked about this in other podcasts because I anytime I bring up this topic I get onto it but I don't I don't like that kind of train of thought especially considering that that's a negative I think like this is a series it is a very clearly stated collective movie where they're not really trying to pander to to the casual audience like they're they're well enough made movies that a casual audience can go and see them and still enjoy it but for the the full understanding and everything I think it's it's at this point quite clear and commonly accepted that you have to watch all of them or watch many of them to really get what's going on because they're telling a story throughout all these different movies like it's like I compare it to if you watching it a TV show and you only watch the first episode and then the last episode and complain that the last episode didn't catch you up on everything in between like yeah, of course not <laughs> that's not how it works or if you go to see a a sequel to a movie like if you go to if you see Star Wars A New Hope and then you go and you skip right to to Return of the Jedi and you just miss everything in Empire Strikes Back like it's not the movie's job to to catch you up <laughs> and that's why like I think even the solo movies they don't call them standalone movies they call them solo movies because they're they're that they're still like it's a solo character's adventure but it is still connected and a part of the the whole universe so I wanted to for this for these movies I wanted to watch the Avengers ones uh, off the back of that and kind of be like which movies do you need to have seen or sh like for the best viewing experience or the ones that you should see for the best viewing experience uh like what's the least you can get by on etc i wanted to kind of talk about that after watching the movies to to kind of like refresh my memory and see see where it's at um this one's probably the most complicated one to start at because i think this movie is is pretty tame in in that kind of like storytelling of the the bigger universe um like i think for the most part you could watch nothing but this one and you can piece most of what's going on together through the dialogue and through flashbacks and stuff except for maybe iron man he'll like you'll be a little confused by him and like what he's about but you get flashbacks to cap and how he got into the ice and stuff they reference his age uh Thor and Loki stuff kind of gets mentioned, not not a whole lot, but it's mentioned enough that you kind of know their deal, and we're really introduced to the other three here, like uh, Bruce Banner, Black Widow, and uh, Clint. You're kind of introduced to most here, even though they've been in 
other movies before this. Uh, but I think for the most part, to actually like fully understand and follow everything the movie is doing, all the relationships and stuff, uh, the musts, the ones that you must watch, I think, are Iron Man 1, Thor, and the first Avenger to really kind of get what's going on. I'd recommend Iron Man 2 and The Incredible Hulk, though I think both are not nearly as important as the other three are. Like, Iron Man 2 is really just a setup for this movie. Like, they, it's like they just wanted another movie to come out. Not to say the movie's not good, I actually really enjoy Iron Man 2, but it's like they're just kind of like trying to buffer, buffer it up and get ready for this movie. Uh, and like minus the Black Widow introduction, which is in Iron Man 2, there's not like a whole lot going on that affects the world as a whole. Like this, just it's it's some more character building for Tony, and then it like preparing for the Avengers, which, like I said, if if you if you want to watch them all, I'd recommend watching that one, uh, and I'd recommend Incredible Hulk because I think that is a very enjoyable movie, but it is for the most part, I think, quite detached from the MCU, like, especially post-recasting, and it, and it barely ever gets mentioned by anyone, really. Um, I think you learn everything you need to know about Bruce Banner in this movie. Uh, unless you don't know anything at all about the Hulk, then, uh, yeah, maybe watch Incredible Hulk as a must. Um... <laughs> And that's why I said it was it's complicated for this one because it's it, it really depends on I guess what kind of knowledge you have generally going in first. Um but yeah. Uh so that's I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more when I get into the cast, so uh I'll leave it at that. But for now that's yeah, those are the three I'd suggest as much watch before watching the Avengers as Iron Man 1, Captain America the First Adventure, and Thor. So let's get into the actual movie itself. Um, I'm only going to touch on the cast a little bit because I already mentioned a number of them in my Civil War review where I talked about them. Uh, so I'm just going to touch on the people we in this adventure are seeing for the first time. So this movie, uh, it opens up with a weird monologue from the other. I had to look up what he was called. For some reason, I thought he was called the the speaker or something, but he's the other. And uh, he gives us a little rundown on what is going to happen in this movie uh, as they try to piece together the gap that I mentioned earlier and complained about. Uh, as the other is presumably telling Thanos that Loki is going with the Chitari to Earth, to get the Tesseract because it has been activated so they know where it is. Uh, way to go, S.H.I.E.L.D., idiots. Um, if you need context as to who the other is, he's the guy that gets his neck snapped by Ronan in Guardians of the Galaxy. I felt that this scene was uh, a little weird and kind of out of place. It feels like it was thrown in at the end, like once the movie was done, because someone... Like, some exec or someone at a test screening was like, Everything needs to be explained. We're confused. Which I mentioned myself, and it's not a bad thing, but they just kind of did it in, like, a really lazy way, and it still left a bunch of stuff out. Like, we don't really know 
anything that happened between uh, Loki falling off the Bifrost and this. We don't know, like... I mean, we kind of we kind of find out in the movie what they're doing with the Tesseract and stuff, but like we don't really see any of that. Like there's a there's a lot that kind of gets left out. So, oh well, maybe it is in some prequel comic, like I like I mentioned. But anyways, after this, we get a hint at the uh, Incredible Avengers theme for the first time. That song is so hype, and it just gets better and better the more you hear it. Uh, right off the jump, we see Agent Coulson, uh, played by Clark Gregg, and Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I'm not particularly attached to either character, to, to be honest. Uh, like, don't get me wrong, I enjoy them, I enjoy how they're portrayed, but they aren't characters that I love. Like, for me, F Fury has always kind of been a dick in the comics, like, especially in the Ultimate comics, which is mostly what I've read him in. He's just not, like, a super nice guy. And while I think Clark Gregg is incredibly funny and entertaining as Coulson, uh, particularly in the Iron Man films and in this movie, uh, I don't really care much. Um, I know he was in seven seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or however many seasons there was, but I could never watch that show. I tried. I, I just couldn't do it. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson is Samuel L. Jackson. He's always entertaining, no matter what he does. And he makes Nick Fury actually interesting to me, like which, like I said, he never really was before this. We also meet uh, Maria Hill pretty early, played by Kobe Smulders. Uh, Maria Hill's a fairly important character in the 616 continuity but she is much less so in the MCU. Um, like, in the 616, for the most part, like, in the last, I would say, in the last 20 years or so, Maria Hill is essentially, like, the Nick Fury of the comic books. Like, is Nick Fury's still kind of around, but he's more, like, a spy in the background, and she's more, like, the the obvious face of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff, but anyways. Uh, what we do see of her in Kobe Smulders, uh, she does a great job, I think, with everything that she's given, but in, like, the five or six movies that she's been in, we still know very little about her, and we don't, like, really get to see her do much. We also get uh, that classic movie trope that it happens in so many movies, and I don't know why, where someone in charge, in this case Fury, asks how long something will take, they get their answer, and then they say, do better, or do it in five. Like, why even ask if you're going to do that? Just say what you want. Be like, you, underling, finish this in ten minutes. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's stupid. Uh, but yeah, Fury also drops a phase two reference. Phase two, woohoo! There is just like a little hint that they're getting ready for the second phase of Marvel films. Yeah. This is also the second film series appearance of uh, Papa Skarsgård. Uh, I think his first name is Stellan. I can never remember. Um, who is playing Eric Selvig? He's a mostly inconsequential character. He's fine though. He does he does his normal thing here. Um, he was also Bootstrap Bill in Pirates of the Caribbean, which is why I said second film series appearance on this on this podcast adventure um 
We also get a hint that the Tesseract is giving off gamma radiation. That's something that will eventually come full circle in Endgame, which I love. Like, you, I don't know if that was ever intended, or if that was their plan, or if it was just supposed to be like an Easter egg to the Hulk, but it becomes a thing, and it's so good. Hawkeye then makes his appearance. He's hanging out in the rafters of the S.H.I.E.L.D. base. I cannot remember exactly what I said about Jeremy Renner in Civil War, but uh, in his first two appearances to this point, so Thor and this movie, uh, he comes across as a very chill but capable agent who can do some cool stuff with a bow. Uh, we don't really get to see much of Hawkeye's personality until the next Avengers movie. We get like bits of it in this movie, but not, not a whole lot. One thing I wanted to note, too, that I was confused about when I was watching is, uh, is why is the scepter glowing blue in this, like, where the, the gem is? Like, is it because it was not intended to be the Mind Stone initially? It was just supposed to be, like, a magic space thing? Or was it just that they didn't know what color they wanted the Mind Stone to be yet? Uh, my guess is that they didn't... No, like, I don't think that was the plan that it was in there initially. Um, but the the color thing, it could also just be that. Who knows? And then we get to meet Loki. Loki makes his appearance uh, after the Tesseract opens its space door. Uh, he looks unwell. <laughs> and I always felt like the idea was there that he wasn't quite doing this of his own free will. Um... Though the Thor end scene would suggest otherwise, because it looks like he looks like he's pretty in control there. But uh, Tom Hiddleston, I think, is perfectly cast as Loki. Though he plays the anti-hero role a lot more than the Loki of old. Like, nowadays in the comics, Loki's much more of that kind of anti-hero. Like, they de-aged him and everything, and like he's just like supposed to be wacky and fun, uh, rather than like an outright villain, which is what he usually was but yeah i always enjoy seeing uh loki in the mcu but yeah i know um i know there's the theory that he was mind controlled or corrupted by the mind stone also because there's moments in the movie where his eyes are the kind of blue that the uh the other characters have when they're controlled and the I didn't know that, that Marvel had actually confirmed this. I just thought it was a fan theory that a lot of people had. But they have confirmed it on their website. Um, they talk about... It's a quote I got from the website where they're talking about the scepter. It says, uh, Gifted with a scepter that acted as a mind control vice, device. Sorry. <laughs> Loki would be able to influence others. Unbeknownst to him, the scepter was also influencing him. Fueling his hatred over his brother Thor and the inhabitants of Earth. So yeah, he was also getting uh, played by Thanos, uh, which is, I suppose, good to know, especially where they are trying to go the anti-hero route with him rather than the, the villain route. Uh, there's in, in this part of the movie, Hawkeye, who's now under the control of Loki, shoots Fury, and then there's a spot when, when they're walking away, you can see Loki in the background, and he kind of like trips or kneels down and one of the henchmen he controls like touches his back as he stands back up. I wonder if that's an oopsie that they left in or it was just 
more of them trying to show that Loki wasn't well, like that he was sick. Because when he gets in the back of the truck after that, he looks quite sick. Um, but I'm not sure. Either way, it's interesting. Um, then the shield lab implodes or explodes, one of the two. And the effect still looks really good, uh, almost 10 years on. But then a helicopter crashes, and that effect looks a lot less good. Like, <laughs> if it wasn't nighttime when this was happening, I'd probably say that it would have looked bad, but it, it looked fine in the dark. And then we get the title card The Avengers, after about 12 minutes. And we move on to meet Black Widow, who is tied to a chair and stuff. And she's doing spy things. Um, the only reason I'm mentioning this is because I know any time people talk about these movies that she's in, they talk about her hair. So I wanted to give my opinion on that. Uh, I think her hair here is much better than it was in Iron Man 2. And I think it's probably the movie where her hair is the best of the Black Widow hair. Um, yeah, and, I, and I'm only commenting on this, like I said, because other people commented it all the time and when they talk about the Avengers and her movie appearances and also because her hair is legitimately wildly different in each movie. Like, she went from long and curly to short and curly to straight back to short and curly, but, like, shorter and curlier to blonde? No. What was her hair like in Civil War? I can't even remember. I think sh straight but shoulder length to blonde to two colors to whatever her hair is going to be like in Black Widow. I'm presuming two colors or just red. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sh I love the humor of this scene when the phone call comes through from Coulson and they just kind of realize that she's been playing with them. Like these people that have her tied in the chair and that she could just easily leave at any point. They also, uh, Coulson on the phone like threatens the bad guys and I'm sitting there like, if you could do this and threaten a guy like this, why not just call him on the phone and use this exact same threat just without Black Widow there and just be like, tell us everything or we'll blow you up because we can. He would probably bend just like he bends here. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, once again, I noticed in this one, the same thing I noticed in Civil War, that it's for some reason really obvious to me when it's not her in the fight scenes like unless I'm mistaken and it is her and I just it looks like a different person to me but it looks like a person with a noticeably different body and head and that's whenever I see it I like it takes me out of it and she's the only one that I notice it on because I guess it may be because she's the only one that fights a cane to hand and doesn't wear a helmet so you can always kind of see her head, but I don't, I don't know. It's just something I, I noticed again in this one, just like I noticed it in, in Civil War. So then we hop over to uh, Calcutta, where Bruce Banner is working as a doctor for people. Uh, this is the Hulk's second MCU appearance, but it's the first by Mark Ruffalo, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier. Uh, in the 2008 movie, The Incredible Hulk, Edward Norton played Bruce Banner, and I'm not exactly sure what happened. All I know is like there were some disputes or whatever, and uh, Norton was replaced by Mike Ruffalo, 
who was actually apparently the director's first choice initially. Uh, the director of Incredible Hulk, I mean, not Joss Whedon. Uh, he wanted Mark Ruffalo, and I guess the studio wanted Edward Norton, or something along those lines. I'm not sure, but I guess that's interesting, <laughs> if that's true, that they wanted Mark Ruffalo and they got him in the end. Uh, it's also worth noting that Mark Ruffalo was the first place person to play Bruce Banner and the Hulk, because he did the mocap for the Hulk, and he was also part of the voice. Uh, if I remember correctly, the voice was a, like a amalgamation of three people. It was... Uh, Mark Ruffalo, Lou Ferrigno, and someone else, I cannot recall who. I remember at the time, I was not super pleased, as I had actually really enjoyed Edward Norton's performance as Bruce Banner, and I thought he was a very comic-accurate Bruce. But by the end of the this movie, I liked Ruffalo well enough at the time, and then I just came to like him more and more each time he showed up in an Avengers movie or in uh, other marvel solo films so yeah i think it was mainly because i was more familiar with the ultimates version of bruce banner who was like kind of timid and he has a lot of self-pity over himself and ruffalo played bruce as like kind of more self-assured and confident while still being careful because he's the hulk but uh we learned that's because he pretty much has his anger under control uh, barring any big moments of distress or surprise, which is what it's how um, the Incredible Hulk ends with Edward Norton kind of controlling his anger and turning on the glowy eyes. So I guess that's where he was going, anyways. But yeah, I like them both. So that's I guess that's what you want. Anyway, Natasha uh, shows up in Calcutta. That's why Coulson called her, and uh, she tricks Bruce and gets him to come back with her to the helicarrier while uh, Nick Fury goes and gets Captain America. There's a great deleted scene of Captain America just going to get like coffee and stuff and doing some art before, the, before he's in the boxing gym, which is uh, where Fury finds him, and everyone should go watch that, I think, because it is quite good. But Cap is in the, uh, in the boxing gym breaking some punching bags, and Fury gets him, and Coulson goes to get Tony, so all of the available Avengers have been assembled, other than Hawkeye, who, as I said, is busy being mind-controlled. But Nick Fury, uh, blatantly here, we get to see him lie <laughs> to Captain America. So, you know, Nick Fury's a liar. Um, I do wonder if they were working on energy at all, like the unlimited energy source, or if it was just Tony doing that and they were only making weapons. I don't know but I'm assuming they were only making weapons. I also love going back to the earlier MCU movies and just getting to see how each Iron Man suit has progressed, like movie to movie. Like, you go back, but like, the last one I watched was Civil War, then you go back to this one, and it's, like, where the suit has to be meticulously, like, taken off by each part. And then in Civil War, he has a suit in his helicopter chair. Like, I like that. Uh, we also get to see Gwyneth Paltrow uh, as Pepper Potts. I'll say that I'm not a huge fan of her generally, but I like her well enough in this role, and I really enjoy uh, the chemistry be her between her and Robert Downey Jr., especially in the early films like uh, Iron Man 1 and 2 and then this one. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I couldn't remember. Is this the first MCU movie where Tony's technology is like 
gone well past being realistic and becoming a more of a comic booky thing? Or did he have something like that in Iron Man 2? I feel like he had the weird holograms in 2, but I don't know for sure. I'm a, yeah, it might, it might be Iron Man 2. But it continues in this one, yeah. Like that's that's one thing I really liked with the first Iron Man movie is that's how there was some realism to what he was doing. Like it felt realistic at least. Like it might it clearly might not have been, but it felt like it at times, which was nice. And we hop over to Coulson and Captain America uh, on the way to the helicarrier, and Coulson is fanboying over Captain America, and he mentions that he was part of the design team for the uniform. Ah, oh, the uniform. The uniform in this movie is awful. Just awful. Uh, mostly the helmet. I, j I don't like it. Cat's, Cat's American uniform in this movie is just not good. I wonder if it was supposed to be awful because Coulson designed it, or if they actually thought, like, when they made it, that they thought it looked good. I don't know. I think it looks terrible. Anyway. Uh, this is a good time, I think, for my Captain America rant. In this movie, I think they do Captain America really dirty and portray him as uh, quite unlikable pretty much until the third act. Like in every scene with Tony or with the other Avengers, he's kind of portrayed as the one in the wrong or he's portrayed like an idiot or whatever. Like, like he's not as smart. And I'm not a fan of it. Um, like I knew at the time... Like, in 2012, after this movie came out, a lot of people didn't like him. And I can see why, based on this movie. Especially if you didn't watch First Avenger and, and got to know him a little bit before this. And all you saw was him in this movie. Like, I understood why people didn't really like him. But then once the third act comes and he kind of takes the lead, he's much better portrayed. And it, you get to see more of, like, the, the actual Captain America. But before that, he's just, like, this naive, kind of blind, follow-the-leader guy who's being a jerk to Tony for, like, it seems like no reason for someone that he doesn't even know. That may just be me, but, yeah. Um, I know at the time it bothered me a lot, and it still kind of bothered me now seeing it, even though Captain America, I know, like, he's one of my favorites, and I know him a lot better because of movies that follow. Anyway, back to the movie. Uh, we're still on the helicopter thingy with Coulson and Cap, and uh, the green screen of the sky, like, in front of the helicopter or whatever, is really bad. Like, it's surprisingly bad. Uh, I guess you aren't really supposed to notice it, so, like, it's fine that it's bad, I guess. But it, I did notice it, and it was bad. <laughs> then Loki has a kind of quick FaceTime call or whatever with the other, or it's a flashback. It's not super clear which one it is. It seems like he's meditating, and then he transports himself there. Or he's meditating and he's remembering the flashback. It's one of the two. But um, they have a chat. Loki's like, I was the rightful king of Asgard and stuff. When actually, I don't think he ever really was. Like, he kind of tried to regicide his way there. And legally, like, I don't know how it works in, in Asgard. But, like, a lot of the times an adopted child can't become king. So, like, he might not have been accepted as king anyways because he was adopted and such, so he might never have been king. And if anything, he would have been, like, a regent because Odin wasn't there to make him king. But, yeah. 
I was also wondering if this is, uh, is this Sanctuary 1 where he's talking to the other, or is Sanctuary 1 where his, uh, Thanos chair was in Infinity War when he's talking to Gamora? Because I know the ship is Sanctuary 2 and then his base is supposed to be Sanctuary 1. But yeah, I don't know. I might Google it later if I actually can be bothered. We get Captain America and Black Widow meeting on the helicarrier, and I love them together. <laughs> they my MCU OTP, if I'm being honest, and I'm being one of those. Uh, especially post-Winter Soldier, I felt like they, they had really good chemistry and they worked well together. Um, better than any other relationships they tried to force the Black Widow character into. I also still giggle at Steve giving uh, Fury 10 bucks because they made a bet at the boxing gym that Fury could show him something he'd never seen before or something like that. And once the helicarrier takes off into the air, he gives him the, the 10 bucks and it's funny. But anyway, um, may I also just say that I like Steve's like style so far, his fashion sense. Like You can tell he's recently woken up and he's still trying to dress like as comfortably or as familiar familiarly <laughs> as he used to like it's a more old-fashioned kind of dress sense because uh, next time we see him which i believe would be winter soldier it's been a few years and he's more acclimated and his style kind of shows it like his hair is different his clothing's different and i like that they they paid attention to that but they get a hit on Loki, so they send Cap to Germany to go fight him. And we see the atrocious helmet and costume for the first time. But Loki is here looking svelte as heck in a suit and a nice jacket. Um, and we see like Loki has this thing that he like sticks in a dude's eye. And it's like, did that thing take out the guy's eye and like teleport it to the other one? Or did it just send a picture of it? Because like taking the eye seems like overkill here it's also funny that uh loki's giving a speech and uh his voice cracks kind of when he yells neil and i've always wondered if that was like a deliberate thing like to try to like like he's actually quite weak like don't be afraid of him or if it was just uh that's just what tom hiddleston's voice does i'm not sure but he does give a good speech except for the fact that he, he expects any of the people there to know english Unless he's speaking German and we hear it as English, I'm not sure. But it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also enjoy uh, Cap's entrance that he makes, uh, atrocious costume aside. Like, it's incredibly comic book accurate in design, it just doesn't look good. <laughs> I'm gonna try to stop ranting about the costume, but I know that probably won't happen. And then Tony shows up. Uh, via shoot to thrill looking totally awesome and he's still in his Iron Man 2 suit as evidenced by the uh, triangle arc reactor as opposed to the circle or some other shape uh, we also get the classic uh, cliche heroes fighting each other in a misunderstanding moment when Thor shows up to take Loki uh, but I did really enjoy the dialogue for this entire section uh, like the Cap Tony stuff's good the Loki Thor stuff, the Tony Thor stuff. I feel like people sleep on early Chris Hemsworth, but in my opinion, he was always good. Uh, he just becomes more earthy and less like Asgardy as the movies go on. And I think people link to that more, but 
as I said in the Civil War episode, I think Chris Hemsworth is a perfect Thor. He's like along the lines of RDJ as Tony and Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa good, in my opinion. Uh, he looks much better here than he did in Thor, though, because he's he's kind of like slimmed down a bit, and he's lost the dyed eyebrows, which is aces. Dyed eyebrows always looks weird to me. I do hate a couple of the lines here, though. Uh, Iron Man says, if he frees Loki or kills him, the Tesseract is lost. And he says, I have a plan. Attack. I think they're both cheesy to the max. And, like, Tony doesn't talk like that. He, he, he never talks like that, so why, why now? But, anyways... So Thor is talking to Loki, and he just wants him to come home, which is so cute. Uh, but then there's a fun line from Loki where he's Thor's like, listen well, brother, and he gets attacked away, and then Loki's just like, I'm listening. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know why none of them thought it was suspect that Loki just hung out, though, and waited for them to finish their fight. But the fact that he's still there when they stop fighting is ridiculous. Like, that's when you go, oh, he wanted to be captured. Okay. <laughs> The fight itself is great, though. I'm a big fan of the touch of Thor, uh, lightning charging Tony's suit, and then the backlash of the hammer hitting the shield, like it's setting up a lot of the little things we'll see in the future when they actually team up. Seeing this fight also kind of shows how far they've come combat-wise, like by the end of the Avengers Endgame. Like, obviously, I think no matter what, Thor was still going to win this fight, but he'd win it much more handily, like post-Ragnarok. And I think Iron Man could do a lot more to Thor by Endgame, like, like suit-wise comparison, as we see him lash against Thanos and his minions for, for a little bit. Uh, so then we get Loki's interrogation with Fury. And I wonder how does Loki know so much? Like, he, he knows kind of like everything that's going on. And I'm wondering, is it all from Hawkeye and Selvig, like they, they're telling him this stuff? Or did he do reconnaissance before this? Or is it just for, excuse me, <sighs> is it just for convenience sake in the movie? We also, another thing, Thor explains like what Loki's up to. Like how does he know what Loki's up to and how does he know about the Chitari? Like the obvious answer is that Heimdall told him but then you would think Heimdall would know where Thanos is, what Thanos' plan is, etc., which he doesn't, so it's, it's kind of inconsistent. I also love that the man is actually playing Galaga when Tony walks in. Like, he's not just grandstanding and being Tony. Um, I do like that he is still kind of grandstanding, though, and the reason he's doing it is at, in some part to create a distraction so that he could plant the Jarvis bug and no one would, would see him do it and uh, the internet's favorite ship the science bros is kind of formed here and they and Bruce and Tony fall into bro love which is which is nice and Steve also has a good uh, moment where he understands the monkey reference for the Wizard of Oz good job buddy <laughs> you know stuff one thing that kind of irritated me though is um, Cap getting upset on behalf of Bruce like when um when Tony's badgering him it's like, like don't be upset about it if Bruce isn't upset like why 
I don't know. But when you look at um, when you look at Cap's like overall mentality towards leaders and armies in this movie, I feel like it's almost a step back from First Avenger. Because in First Avenger, like he he kind of learns and gets the sense that they can't always be trusted, and sometimes you have to act on your own, and sometimes they've got different agendas and all this stuff. But in this movie, he's kind of back to just being loyal. Um, I suppose if you view this as his starting point, it makes a lot of sense how he evolves at this at the end of this movie, and then into Winter Soldier and Civil War and so on. But like. If the starting point is First Avenger, where it kind of actually is, it's it's he takes a step back, and then moves forward again. Uh, I suppose you could say that he's just trusting Shield because uh, Peggy made Shield and uh, Shield saved him from the ice and stuff, and he's just kind of lost in this time. Like there's there's ways to excuse it, but I feel like the lessons he learned in first avenger they're having him learn again here too and it just it's a little repetitive and not super good because um, <laughs> like even it feels weird but there's even kind of a moment where tony kind of points out that he's being weird like he's like he says about cap that, that that's the guy my dad wouldn't shut up about like this guy that's just like following orders and kowtowing and being like a little bit of a knob like even Tony's kind of like huh this dude sucks like <laughs> I don't know I feel like Joss Whedon just maybe doesn't really get Captain America but whatever um I also love Tony's pep talk to Bruce uh he gives him a little pep talk about how what happened to him is a terrible privilege and that the Hulk has a purpose uh, because otherwise, like, Bruce should have died from the exposure to all that gamma radiation. Like, I really like that. And, again, it pays off over the, the ten years or so of movies, which is which is cool. Uh, Steve does start to do a good thing here, though. Uh, he starts to have some doubts about S.H.I.E.L.D., so he goes off on his own to find the truth, which is very Steve. Uh, so kudos for that. And he finds out that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s plan was to use the Tesseract to make weapons not for free energy I think this surprises no one <laughs> Thor also mentions uh, bilge snipes I wish to know more about bilge snipes, they sound neat uh, I also love the growth that we see from Thor, just between Thor 1 and this movie like he's, he's matured a whole lot which is cool we also get a good scene between Loki and Black Widow, um, and just watching this scene alone, I'm so confused as to why we hadn't gotten a Black Widow solo film earlier. Like, this scene alone gives so much intrigue about her, and I think it would be more than enough to fuel a solo film in, in Phase 2. Like, show us why she has read in her ledger. Show us why she owes Hawkeye a debt. Show us what happened in Sao Paulo. Instead, we had to wait nine years, and that's if Black Widow even comes out in 2021, uh, to see Black Widow's story a little bit more when her story's already been told to an end. Like, we, like her story's been fully told for the most part, other than prequel stuff. It, it's too late. <laughs> but uh, 
Loki calls her her a mewling quim, and I think that's a hell of an insult. I have a good idea what it means, but <laughs> I'm still not super sure, so I like to be in mystery about it. Um, I also love that she plays him. Like, she just gets him to admit her plan, like, his plan, like, unintentionally, which I think is great. And I enjoyed that moment. Tony also has a great line. Uh, I'm sorry, Nick, what were you lying? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and then Fury kind of gets shown here that he's an idiot. Like, again, this scene, I'm sitting here like, why do people like him so much? He's real dumb. I was a little confused as to why they all started yelling at each other, both when I first saw this and now, until I remembered that it's probably the scepter influencing them, because the scepter's glowing and making noise. But, uh... I don't get why they're all yelling at each other still. Like, they were all against Fury, and then they turned on each other. Like, <laughs> but yeah. So, I... I figure that the scepter glowing and making noise seems to suggest that it's influencing them, or we know it's being tracked so maybe that's the tracker activating I don't know but uh, we also get a lot of setup here between Tony and Captain America which I like like uh, Captain America talks about stuff about like how Tony would never make the sacrifice play uh, how he would never lay down on the wire for like his his friends or whatever it's a setup for this movie but it's also like a setup for the rest of the MCU in a way and then like, because Tony talking about how everything special about Steve comes from a bottle. And, like, over the next ten years, and even in this movie, we get to see that they're both wrong. And we just get to keep seeing it. Like, that they're both wrong about each other, which is which is great. I also find it interesting that they just come out and say that the Hulk won't let Bruce die. When he talks about the moment where he gets, when he got dark. Like, that's that was intense. Uh, so, Barton... Hawkeye attacks uh, the helicarrier with Loki's crew and we get a half boring action scene with Cap and Tony stuff and a slightly better action scene uh, with Black Widow, Thor, and Hulk. Uh, to me, this part really felt like it was a time filler and like a quota meter. Like it, They're like, we need this many action scenes and the script he wrote only had a, like four and, but he had to meet five so he threw this in. Like, it's not great. Uh, this is also where we get the Coulson death and the complications that come with that. So according to Joss Whedon, Coulson is intended and meant to be dead in the films. Yet in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, he is alive. And that show is said to be part of the MCU. Yet the shows that are part of the MCU seem to be less and less a part of the MCU now, and like as the movies went on, they started to like separate them more. So who knows if, if in the main MCU continuity he's alive or not. I don't know. But I also find it weird, too, because I'm pretty sure Joss Whedon directed the first two episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so it's weird that he came out after the fact saying... Um, saying that, that, that it doesn't count, but... I'm just actually just I'm gonna check that because I'm curious. Okay, so it kind of talks about it here. Uh, Wooten spoke about certain complications that factored in with making the show for Marvel, noting confusion between him and the company regarding blah blah blah. 
Uh, he once expressed regrets for having brought back Phil Coulson, feeling that his death had lost meaning as a result, but later clarified that he did not regret this decision. But I am, I'm almost certain that I had read an article before where he said that Coulson in the movies, as he saw them, was not alive. But yeah, anyways, <laughs> bit of a, a rambly tangent. But yeah, we get a funny scene during the boring action scene of Cap saying that the helicarrier seems to run on some form of electricity. Uh, that made me laugh. And uh, Loki tricks Thor with an illusion and asks if he's ever not going to fall for that. Yes, but it takes about six years before he stops falling for it. I may also be alone here, but I hate the kind of lines like what Coulson says here when he shoots the gun at Loki. Uh, he says, so that's what it does? Lines like that just bug me. Like, it's like a cheap laugh attempt, and in my opinion, it often fails. Like, yeah, a gun shoots. Wow. <laughs> Anyways. If Coulson is legitimately dead, though, in this movie, Fury is a real dirtbag to have gone into his locker to get the cards, and then to rub some blood on them to guilt the boys into acting, because that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. We also get a scene, a, a scene, a scene of Thor in a field. And I, and I don't really get what the point of it is. Like, are they trying to hint that he was afraid for a moment that he wasn't worthy or something? Or if he was just powering up? Because I remember there's a hesitation, like, where he reaches for the hammer. But, I don't know. Uh, Clint has been knocked back to normal. And he's actually being pretty funny uh, once he's normal again. So it's more of that, you just see more of a little bit of his personality coming out. Um, which, you know, is great. I like, I like Hawkeye. I know a lot of people don't, but I enjoy him. Uh, seeing C Steve in the suit without the top and the helmet actually makes it look kind of okay, but it also just looks like tights, whereas every other arm uniform up to this point looks like armor or fatigues. Yeah. I don't know why it bugs me so much. <laughs> it, just, it just does. <laughs> but uh, they kind of figure out where Loki's going to be, and then Captain America recruits Black Widow and Hawkeye, and they go to a helicarrier helicopter. And Cap's line of the sun, uh, sun, just don't. <laughs> it always gets me. It's fun. And we get to see Tony's newest suit, uh, the Mark Seven. It's neat. I'm curious in what way it wasn't finished, though, because Jarvis says it's not finished, but it seems to work just fine once Tony's thrown out of the window by Loki. Like, it seems to work fine. I do love the little scene between Tony and Loki, though, because uh, we get to see like some character growth. Uh, like Tony calls Cap the living legend who kind of lives up to the legend. I like that the, nice, the niceties between them are starting. Uh, it feels almost not earned to this point in the movie, but I think it's earned enough that I will let it go. But uh, all we have seen of them like being working together up to this point is the boring action scene where they're trying to fix the hella character, so... I don't know. Anyways, I also like the touch that the scepter doesn't work on Tony because the reactor stops it from touching his body. But then also, why does the Mind Stone need to like touch the heart or the chest to work? It's like the Mind Stone, just touch it to his forehead or something. I don't know. 
Anyways, uh, the Chitari invade because Loki opens up the portal, and it's really cool. Uh, I really don't get why, after watching this, people complained so much about the damage in Man of Steel. Like, yeah, a decent amount of it is caused by Superman in that movie, but in the end result, it's kind of like the same. Like, in killing the things and fighting the Chitari, the Avengers also seem to damage quite a bit of property. And a ton of people probably died, even though they don't, like, blatantly show it. And they try to show everyone getting away or avoiding explosions or whatever. But I know the complaint. People will say the difference is that uh, in Man of Steel, Superman's, like, the one legitimately destroying the buildings, where it seems like more of a consequence of what's going on in... Uh, Avengers, but still, I don't, I don't really get that complaint. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, uh, we see Loki for some reason. I noticed at this point has his hat, like he's got his helmet, but Thor doesn't have his hat, and like I wonder why. Is it just because they didn't want to block any of Chris Hemsworth's hair or pretty face, uh, or did the helmet just look stupid? But I do appreciate. I'll say how accurate all the costumes have been so far. Like, the horns are a little much, yeah, but uh, they're all very comic-accurate comic costumes. Like, Hawkeye's is pretty much completely spot-on to his Ultimates outfit, except the colors are different. Um, in the Ultimates, his, it's black and red, but they just took his normal 616 colors with the, of the purple and black, and then they put it on that, but it's the same outfit. Uh, Natasha's is pretty much the same, except it's much more functional rather than leather. Uh, Thor's is pretty much perfect as well, except he's just missing the helmet. And sometimes sleeves. It just... Sometimes. And Tony's suits, I, like, I, I always feel like the movie suits look significantly better than the comic book suits. I don't usually like the suits that are in the comics. Uh, we get to see some of Hawkeye's stuff, and he's got a cool, like, multi-tip quiver that, like, changes the type of tips he can put on his arrows. I like that. And I also like the added touches of them, like, actually helping people rather than just fighting. I do appreciate that. Where you see them helping people get off, like, a crash bus or going to help the people in the bank, etc. Um, and again, there's a little more stuff here to hint towards, like, a... Black Widow and Hawkeye movie that never came that I just I want to see which was uh, when they're talking about Budapest like I want to know what happened in Budapest anyways uh, Captain America kind of takes charge here and it's glorious I love it and Bruce showing up on the dirt bike is amazing and we get a uh, group shot that is iconic um, I remember at the time that some people didn't like the Bruce thing uh, with the I'm always angry and then he kind of transforms at will. But I actually love it. Like, he isn't saying here that he has the Hulk under control. What he's saying is, in my opinion, what he's saying is he has enough anger in him at all times to become the Hulk. Like, he can just, at any point that he wants to, he could become the Hulk, but he keeps it at bay. But there are still moments, intense moments, where he can't keep it at bay anymore, and that's why he's still careful, a la the Helicarrier incident where he transformed and almost attacked Black Widow. That That's how I always viewed that, and I really like it. Um, and that's kind of what like they hinted at at the end of the Incredible Hulk movie, when he... Uh, 
he's meditating and he uses the meditation to increase his heart rate to force the transformation. I like that. Um, anyways, I think this is also the first time we actually get to see the entire transformation clearly. Like as far as I remember from the 2003 movie, the 2008 movie, and then this and then this one up to this point, they always obscured it or hid it in some way, like with smoke or it being too dark. But this is the first time where they've like very clearly shown the transformation. And while the effect has obviously improved over the last several years, I think it still looks incredibly good here and it holds up. Uh, Thor goes up to the Empire State Building and it looks like he breaks it <laughs> when he lightnings the wormhole. Like, I wonder how much of the Empire State Building he broke. Anyways, we're introduced to the World Security Council here. Uh, and it confuses me. They still confuse me. Like, they're never really explained who they are, uh, why S.H.I.E.L.D. is beneath them, like, etc., Agent Carter show may have, or the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show may have, I'm not sure, but they never really talk about it, they just, they appear in this movie, and then they appear in Winter Soldier, and that's pretty much it, they're just kind of there, but anyways, um, they're a bunch of idiots, <laughs> Hulk just running straight through that office, too, is hilarious, or do, like, the people are looking at the windows, and they turn around, and it's just Hulk running at them, I don't I don't get why those people were still up there, though. Like, this alien invasion has been going on for long enough that they... Like, anyone with a brain would go, we should probably get downstairs. <laughs> that, that happens in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, too. Like, where... When Bruce calls that guy in the office and they're still all just up there watching this attack. Like, get downstairs! <laughs> Anyways... And then we get a little bit of uh, Black Widow doing a shield launch trick that Wonder Woman will later steal. Uh, I'm kidding, mostly, but it's it's cool. Um, we get the beam refraction with the shield, um, which is always a good thing, and I always love seeing it. I also like that in this, they just assume it'll work, and they do it. Like, nothing to this point suggests that this is something that will work or that they've planned out, but they just do it, <laughs> and it, and it works. So, you know, why not? Um... I love, too, that they show that Hulk, like, even just, not Bruce, but the Hulk himself is mostly in control, but he still punches Thor, like, for the lols, just, <laughs> just to do it. Uh, and then we get Loki, one of my favorite scenes, which is, uh, Steve going to rescue the people in the bank. Like, it just shows that he's, before, that he's just tired, he almost got stabbed to death. Then he has to get up and go to this bank. And when he's at this bank, he gets shot out a window, and then he has to just get right back up and keep going. It's also maybe one of my favorite scenes because a random Chitauri rips his mask off his uniform and the uniform from the rest of the movie looks a thousand times better. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, World Council are idiots. Uh, it's way too early to resort to a nuke, first off. Second, how do they even know that a nuke would work on the aliens? They might just obliterate Manhattan for no reason, and then the aliens are still there and ready to kill. Like, try other stuff first. <laughs> send in some fighter jets. Send in the army, etc. Like, the news thing at the end of the movie suggests that the army was there, but we never actually see them. We just see the cops and the Avengers. So they either weren't there yet, or they weren't there for very long. 
try other stuff. Anyways, uh, Hulk smashes Loki, and we get a puny god line, which is A plus quality meme material and content, and we all love it. Uh, I am conflicted a bit about the kill switch in the wormhole thingy, uh, the MacGuffin of this movie. Like, it's a nice touch that they're saying that the mind controlled can fight it a little bit. Like, you could argue that Clint, earlier in the movie, when he shot Fury, he shot him in the body armor rather than the head because he, he like, control it a little bit. To like, and you can say that that backs this up. But it's also like, oh, well, how convenient that we have an easy way to turn off this thing that's bringing in all the aliens. There's also a missed opportunity here where uh, Captain America is talking to Thor and they're fighting. And then Thor asks him if he can keep going. He's like, what, you getting sleepy? They should have switched that for I can do this all day. <laughs> like, it wasn't really a thing yet. Like, I know it becomes more of a thing and from Winter Soldier on, but it's such a... It would have been perfect. I can do this all day. But anyway. Uh, Tony's out here with his beautiful self-sacrifice play. Uh, him calling Pepper and then Jarvis being the last thing he hears as he flies... Like through this wormhole thinking he's going to die is beautiful. It also becomes a nice, like, recurring thing with, that we have in Infinity War and Endgame. Um, but yeah, Tony takes the nuke and he throws it at the Chitauri ship. I really enjoy seeing the damage done to the city and, like, you get to see the damage to their suits and stuff. Like, it gives it kind of that sense of realism that I want uh, to show that, like, they have been in the battle, and it's not, like, pristine and everything. Like, they took some knocks. Uh, we get the Stan Lee's cameo. Love him. Uh, we get a nice little news montage, and then Nick essentially telling the World Security Council to shove it. The ending with Nick and his lines there was a little ham-fisty and, like, a little, a little much, but I, I did enjoy seeing uh, the Avengers Towers, like, beginning. That was cool. We also get our first look at a smaller, purpler Thanos. Uh, it's still hard to believe how many years it took for us to actually get to Thanos from here, but it was so worth it. Um, if I remember correctly, the Thanos, the actor for Thanos here is, was a stunt actor, and then, as we all know, um, what's his nuts? Uh, James Brolin. Is it James Brolin? No, James Brolin's the dad. Um, what's his name? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin uh, plays Thanos. In the rest of the films, excuse me, gosh. <sighs> Anyways, uh, after finishing this movie again, I wrote down my, note, my, my thoughts on it once more at the end, so I might be repeating myself, but... Uh, what I wrote was, I still wildly enjoyed this movie, but my thoughts remain mostly the same. The first act is fun, the second act drags, and the third act is amazing. Cap was slightly more likable than I remember overall, but that could be hindsight affecting my opinion, and the other movies influencing that because I know who he is more. Uh, you know, which might be true. 
And then I wrote, I do think after watching it, though, to get the full experience and truly know what is going on, you should watch all Phase 1 movies. The musts are still the same as above, but for full enjoyment and understanding, I think watching them all is preferable. Though, yeah, you could probably sit out Incredible Hulk and not miss much, uh, I would still recommend watching it. If I'm going off memory alone, though, I think this is still my least favorite of the four Avengers movies. I know a lot of people don't like Age of Ultron, but there's a lot about that movie I really enjoy, and I look forward to watching it again. I'd give this movie an 8.5 out of 10, though, probably. And that's the last thing I wrote. Um, yeah, I stand by that. Uh, I, I am looking forward to watching Age of Ultron. Seeing if I still enjoy it more than uh, than the first Avengers movie, and then... Good, well, I don't know why I'm yawning so much. Um, but yeah. that uh, That's probably next on the docket. Whichever one I feel like watching first, either Avengers Age of Ultron or uh, Prisoner of Azkaban will be the next episode. Um, but yeah. I'm looking forward to getting on to the to more of these. I beat the Avengers campaign, and I'm doing the multiplayer now, which honestly is not as fun without a bunch of friends to play it with, but it's still so good, uh, and I'm having fun playing that game. And I hope everyone has a good day, whatever day it is that you're hearing this. And if you're hearing this on a weekend, I hope you have a good weekend. It's the weekend for me, which is the only reason I'm saying that. And uh, thanks for, for, for hanging out and, you know, listening and stuff. Uh, as always, I don't really say this, but I always mean to. Um, if you have any suggestions or whatever on, on, on how I'm doing this or a, on a different way of doing this or whatever, like, hit me up, let me know. Um, I'm s still just trying to get into the groove of this, and I'm not really sure how to do this, I, w I never really expected to, to, to be doing this many of them by myself. Um, when I envisioned it, it was always with someone else. Um, but that didn't really work out, so it's just me. F probably for the foreseeable future, or longer. Or longer, or always, I mean, but, you know, we'll see. And, uh, thanks for coming along on this, uh, this Avengers adventure, I suppose. As mediocre as it may be. <laughs>